What is up, my friends? Welcome back to a brand new episode of the Coworking Weekly Show. As always, I'm your host, Alex Hillman, and if this is your first time here, I'm so glad that you found this show. We've got a lot of great stuff in store for you, and for you loyal listeners, thanks for coming back. Uh, it's because of you coming back every week and for leaving ratings and reviews on iTunes. Those of you who have done that, thank you. You are the ones who are helping other people find the show, discover the show, sharing your favorite episodes, your favorite insights. A lot of that been going on on social media recently, on Facebook and on Twitter. I appreciate that so much. More people finding the show means more opportunities for us to discover what's going on, to dive deep into all the interesting things that are happening in the world of co-working, collaboration, the ways that we work together and learn from each other. Uh, that's what I'm, I'm here for, and that's what you seem to be coming back for, so let's do some more of that. Uh, today's show is honoring a bit of a tradition uh, where we go to co-working conferences. At this point, I don't know if you know this, but there are co-working conferences on nearly every continent except for Antarctica, and when the Penguins figure out uh, how to co-work, I'm sure that we'll be there as well. We have the good fortune of being some of the folks that get to visit these other conferences, see what's going on around the world, and then we bring back what we've learned to you. Uh, in the past, on this show alone, we've been to other conferences, but on this show alone, we've recapped the Coworking Europe conference in Lisbon back in 2014. We split that into two parts. That's episodes five and six, if you want to go back and listen to those. The CU Asia conference of 2015, that's back in episode 10. I did a remote guest uh, appearance uh, over a, a telepresence rig there in a uh, big bamboo school, which was super cool. 2015's Juicy Canada in Toronto. That was their very first co-working Canada conference. That's back in episode 16. Sam and I sat down to talk about her first experience at a co-working conference there. Our own conference, the People at Work Summit, that we ran this past April, which was more focused on the co-workers, the people in co-working spaces, how collaboration actually takes place, sort of the human side of co-working. Recapped that back in episode 33. We have done a lot in the last couple of years just around co-working events and conferences on the show. We're going to link to all those episodes in the show notes so you can go and check them out because I want you to listen to today's episode first. Uh, this time, Sam and I are sitting down after the seventh annual Coworking Europe conference. It's great return to its original city in Brussels, in Belgium. Uh, I have had, been able to go to all of the Coworking Europe conferences except for the inaugural one in Brussels where the founder, Jean-Yves Huard, is from. Uh, and so I'm, I was excited that he was bringing it back to its home turf so I'd have a chance to experience co-working Europe in Brussels itself. And just for a bit of perspective, the very first co-working Europe in Brussels that I was not at, uh, my good friend Jacob Sales from Office Nomads up in Seattle was there. And I got a bit of an insider scoop from him when he had come back from that. And he said, this is going to be a big deal. And he wasn't kidding. There was less than 100 people in the room for that conference, maybe closer to 50, 60, 70 people. This year's co-working Europe, over 400, 450 people, sort of stadium seating was able to be filled, not just a, you know, a little event venue. This is a big conference. This event grows uh, and grows and grows, and it's something we look forward to going to every year. And Sam and I have a lot to say about this year's event. So we're going to break this recap episode, as we have in some episodes past, into two parts. Today's episode, we're going to be talking about what we saw in the first two days of the conference. And then in the next episode, which if you subscribe to this show right now in iTunes, Overcast, Stitcher, wherever it is you listen to podcasts, make sure you subscribe so you get part two when we release it. We're going to be talking about day three, which is a workshop that we ran 
why we did the workshop that we did, some brand new material that Sam and I put together, and some of our bigger picture takeaways from what we want to see from the co-working conference event arena going forward. There's two things that have been on my mind since we recorded this episode a week ago. Essentially, right after we got off the plane, we landed, we came back, and while things were fresh in our mind and fresh in our emotions as well, we wanted to record how we felt after this conference because there were some things that really we felt needed to be talked about. Me being me and my focus being on community building and people, it's not surprising that I tend to attract the community building crowd. However, it was interesting to me how many people, regardless of what crowd they represented, were spending an incredible amount of time and attention on what was happening in the big box, corporate, glossy, venture-funded co-working world. And I wanted to share my answer that I gave to a lot of people at the conference here on the show. A lot of this really comes down to the fact that I don't pay much attention to it at all. You may have noticed that we don't really talk about it here on the show. And it's not because I don't think it exists, but it's because I think it's a massive distraction. And that's what I want to bring up is some of the biggest takeaways of this conference for people wasn't practical, pragmatic, useful ways to go home and make your communities in your own neighborhoods and cities and ecosystems better. It was what somebody else is doing that you don't like. And I find that troubling. I find that worrisome about the the future, the, honestly, the future of co-working. And it makes me think about the importance of the conversations we have here on this show that I have with you, my listeners, my readers, when you write me emails where <laughs> I, I got so excited I knocked over my coffee. Sorry about that. Uh, where did I leave off? The, the fact that there are so many important conversations that we need to be having and the thing they have in common is they center around the people in our communities, our members, the things we do together and for each other. And all of the conversations about what other people are doing, about the awkward teenage years of co-working, about the schism, the split between corporate versus community, it's not that that doesn't exist. It absolutely does. But too many of you are letting it be a distraction. If you are spending any amount of time reading and sharing articles about what's going on in another co-working community besides your own, and not the kinds of things like we share here on the show where it's something you can actually use to solve a problem you have, but if you're following the co-working pop culture zeitgeist of what everybody else is up to, unless those things are things that directly affect your ability to help your community, to build and grow your community, to make your co-working space successful, you are distracting yourself. And if you're struggling in any way, I'd be willing to bet that those two things have something in common. The amount of time that you spend worrying about what other people are doing and the amount of time you spend thinking about how you can learn how to make your own efforts as impactful as humanly possible. And speaking of making as big of an impact as possible, the second thing I want to talk about before we get into the episode is how we address this conference itself. I think you're going to hear a tone that maybe you've never heard us use before about some of the talks that we heard at this conference. And we're, we're basically going to be more critical than we usually are. And this is not to be mean. This is not to cut other people down. This is to take a good, hard look at what happened at one of the most important events of the year and where it fell short. And in some cases, it was the way the conference was actually organized, the way the talks were put together. In some cases, it was 
a missed opportunity to help a speaker deliver a particular message. They got close, but didn't quite get there. We're going to be talking about specifics, specific moments, specific lessons, and it's all coming through a lens of wanting an event like this to have the biggest impact humanly possible. This is not just an event. This is one of the marquee events for the world of co-working, and people come from literally all over the world to it. We know that this conference has the ability to be absolutely incredible. So everything we talk about in this episode, even and especially the critical stuff, is coming from a place of those expectations. Not to cut it down, but to put our lens on it, put our spin on it, and say, this is how we think this can be even better. Because Honestly, I want to have a reason to go back to this conference and other conferences year after year after year. In order for that to happen, I think we all need to step up our game. Attendees, speakers, organizers, I get to speak from all three of those roles because I get to do all three of those things. So this is how we're looking at this. Not just the Coworking Europe conference, but all of the opportunities we have to learn from each other. We want to up our game. We want you to up your game. And so without further ado, let's get into this episode and up our game together. Bonjour, Sam. Hola. <laughs> <laughs> we just came back from Brussels. Yes. Where they speak French. And Dutch, which I don't have any mastery of. <laughs> but if we default to Spanish, we're like, hey, close enough. Which we had a waiter that did. We did. That was confusing. But he was very charming about it. Anyway. It, was, it was incredibly delightful and Made no sense. What were we doing in a silly country that speaks both French and Dutch and maybe sometimes Spanish? Uh, we were going to the Coworking Europe conference, as well as some sightseeing and touristy stuff like that, but Coworking Europe. Yeah, that was the reason to be. The yep. reason to be. This is the seventh Coworking Europe conference. I have been to all of them except for the original one, which was in Brussels. And this seventh year, they went back to Brussels. So I can now officially say I've been in every single Coworking Europe city mm -hmm. for one of the conferences. And Sam, this was your first time to this conference. Yes, I had been to the Coworking Canada conference, which Ashley, who organized the Coworking Canada, was at this one. And it was interesting to... Um, look at the similarities and differences. Yeah. But this is so much bigger and so much more international. And oh my gosh, I feel like my world is so small after meeting people from all over the world. It was amazing. Well, and <laughs> we also, uh, between when you went to Coworking Canada last year and Coworking Europe this year, we ran a conference of our own. Yes. So we've got sort of multiple lenses that you got to attend this event through. Um, you're far from the only first time attendee oh, yeah. I, i'm during our workshop i we we asked raised hands and i'd say two-thirds or to three-quarters of the conference was first-time attendees which yep. is always very interesting it's always surprising to remember how young this industry is given how much we talk about and think about all of these things it's like oh yeah we're we i feel like a baby even having been here two years and there are some people who just started less than two years ago. There were people at the conference who s opened a space a week before and then were at the conference or were planning to open it like the following week. It was amazing. Yeah, that's wild. I was talking with um, Steve Monroe from Hubud in Bali about his first co-working Europe and the experience he had where, you know, he came two years in assuming that he was a total newbie, but found that he was in some ways elder counsel compared to so many people that were just getting started or in that curious phase. So it's interesting. There's some overlap. You know, it's fun to meet co-working 
weekly readers and listeners at these events as oh, well. Yeah. <laughs> but there's also so many new people who are like, who are you? We've never met you before. And right. like the, those, the, the, both of those audiences exist sort of in the same room, the same place uh, at the same time. And you never know who you're going to get given the conversation that you're having. Yeah. There's something very interesting about being put in the seat of someone who is, I say with air quotes, an expert. Um, I say with air quotes because so much of what we do is based on curiosity. So we, I, I hope that we don't go into these conferences being like, what's up? We're the, the big fish in this small pond. What's up? Uh, it's more um, just like, okay, we know things. We've experimented. We've tried stuff. We've had the time to see how it affects and how the ripples have played out. Um, but there's something very different about showing up as in that elder statesman sort of role and how you can respond to that and how you can like totally ignore it and just keep being curious and talking to people and learning stuff. You can use it as an opportunity to share what you know. Uh, I think we got to do both of those things, but man, it, it is such an interesting thing to look at from the outside, what it's like when you're put in a particular role or there's a particular perception about you that you don't even think about on a day to day. Was there something in particular you were going into this conference curious about? Um, I, so we have been so immersed in our move and in post move, getting back to the basics of what makes Indie Hall great. And honestly, my curiosity was how are other people doing other things? Um, one of my favorite conversations was with the, the guys from India who they literally have to have a different model than we do because they don't have the luxury of getting to know people one-on-one, having it be a slow growth because there's just such immense population density in New Delhi. Um, And so they had a whole bunch of different branches really fast. They have teams because they have to. People are working in teams. It, It sounded like there was a very voracious sort of attitude to jumping into this experiment and trying out co-working and seeing how it works. I think they've been doing it for not that long. Just a few years, but you're right. What impresses me about them, and uh, you know, I know Varun has spoken with his team about me, about us. Uh, Varun and I hung out at the co-working on Conference Asia earlier this year. Um, really connected. I just think he's a super, super sharp guy and has clearly rallied an amazing team ar- around it. And I think you know, his perspective, they are doing something very big and at scale. And he's heard some of the things that I've said um, sort of in defense of small and mm-hmm. doing things small. And I think read into that that I don't think you can do things big and do them well. And the, where, where we bonded is over a more in-depth conversation, which is one of it's just harder to do things big and do them well. It's not impossible. And I also think it's really hard. It's especially hard to do things big at the onset, having never done them small. So what's interesting about their situation is, I think you're totally right, they, they're they big out of necessity because their population wouldn't allow them to be small in some ways. But instead they've embraced that as a set of constraints and said, we're not willing to give up certain things, so we just have to change our approach into it. And I think their, their, their commitment to it and their commitment to do a good job and learn and experiment rather than just say, we're going to be big for the sake of being big mm-hmm. is is honestly really inspiring to me. Um, so I'm glad that we got to connect with them. I want to be able to spend more time with them. Um, the, the two guys that he had with him, I was, I was impressed in every conversation that we had. They're, 
they're real thoughtful about their work, which I just think goes to show you, I, I don't actually have anything against scale. I have things against carelessness and thoughtlessness, which tends to go hand in hand with scale, but not necessarily. So I wanted to, as we've done in the past, uh, normally Adam and I have done the sort of post coworking Europe recap episode. Um, but Adam didn't go along this year. It was your turn. Ha-ha. <laughs> um, and it was also a different year. Uh, and it was a different conference. Every year this conference is a bit of an evolution. So we got to go in and experience this together for the first time, um, even though I've been in the past. And for the folks who didn't get to go, as well as the folks who went and are maybe still digesting, still processing, we wanted to share some of our thoughts and takeaways, mm-hmm. highlights maybe some of our lowlights. Um, this was a, we'll, do, we'll start by saying it was an interesting conference. Uh, I'll say interesting as the euphemism for troubling in certain ways. And I, I definitely left fired up about things to try, stuff for me personally to do, stuff I want to play in our community with. So it was absolutely valuable um, for, I guess, so my, my curiosity was how are people doing things? And then what I wanted was, how do I light a fire under my ass to try different things and do stuff that I haven't maybe thought of before? So I definitely left with that. Um, I am, maybe it's the caffeine and fighting jet lag, but I am like antsy today of like, cool, how can I get started on this? How can I get started on this? So for that, it was very valuable. And for something that is always valuable to me, which is it was very valuable in figuring out like, cool, this is not what I want this is not how we do things. This is not how I would want to present us. This is what I can learn from that. So that was valuable too. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I, I, I'm I'm with you on that. I, you know, there's I don't think that it's fair to and and to, as a as a warning as we head into this episode, uh, we're going to be critical because I think it's fair to be um, anything we're critical about. Uh, you know, we're friends with this entire community, including the organizers of this conference. The only reason we're critical is because we want it to be better. We know it can be better. Uh, We will be open and honest and authentic about what we see, what we experience, what we hear, not just what we think, but what we observe. Um, With that, we're going to use that as fuel, like Sam said, to make things better here and for other people. You know, seeing things not go the way not just that we wanted to, but seeing other people frustrated and confused, that's a clue to us that there's room for us to contribute more and more, some more ways. So um, if as we make our way through our, our little recap and something sparks you and say, hey, that sounds like something I want to contribute to, reach out to us. Yes. And, you know, let's have a conversation about it. Let's let's talk about what you're what you're fired up to do that matches up with something we're fired up to do. Maybe it's something we can do together or something we can just get behind and champion. Uh, like I said, in the last episode where we, uh, Adam and I talked about that awesome article about community building in a cafe from Alice Dundum right now, I think we're in a mode of sig- signal boosting for, for this show, for our effort, but also encouraging other people to learn and experiment and share back and, and the good stuff. We'll find it and hopefully you'll share it with us, to make it easier for us to find it and, and boost that along. So, We're going to go day by day. I think that's the easiest way to go through a conference that literally happens day by day. Uh, Day one of the Coworking Europe conference. Now, for those of you who have not been to one of the the large-scale regional co-working conferences, there is sort of this pattern, and this is a similarity I think you saw between co-working Canada and co-working Europe in terms of how the three days are structured. Do you want to describe how those three days Mm -hmm. actually are are laid out for folks that have have never gone? Yes, and feel free to elaborate on day one because having only been to two and having the two be very different, which we'll get into, uh, 
I'm not 100% sure what the criteria is for day one, but day one is usually keynote talks that are already programmed. Uh, sometimes they'll be from sponsors. Sometimes they'll be from local co-working spaces or communities. Sometimes they'll be from people who are visiting and stuff like that. In this particular one, it was kind of all over the place with that. Um, and you, I think on the second half of the first day, there were um, a little bit longer keynotes, but the ones before that were maybe half an hour at the max. I have to check the schedule. Yeah. Uh, the second day is an unconference. So if you've not been to an unconference, basically you as the attendees of this conference put a topic that you would want to facilitate up on a wall. It can be a topic. It can be a question. It can be just something. It's just something that you are itching to talk about with your peers. Um, stick it up on the wall. They end up making a schedule. You pick and choose what talk you want to go to, and that's usually the whole day. Uh, and then the third day, we had a workshop in the morning, uh, which would have been the same in Coworking Canada had I not gotten food poisoning. Um, <laughs> Way to dodge that bullet this time. Yeah. Instead, Patterson got the food poisoning. Wah, wah. Ugh, it's got to be one of us, I guess. And then the second half of the day were tours around the city of different co-working spaces or communities. So that's the format uh, that has sort of evolved over time. The juicy events sort of follow that, uh, that format. Coworking Europe follows that format. CU Asia more or less follows that format. So the, these larger marquee regional events are, are all sort of following that format for better or for worse. And we can get into in a little bit about some of the strengths and weaknesses of that, that format and why yeah. I think it exists and maybe some of the things we can do to break it down. Let's dive deeper into day one. Keynotes. Talks. This is more the, um, when you think, if you, if you close your eyes and hear the word conference, this is what you think of. Exactly. This is, um, in this particular case, stadium seating, beautifully brightly colored seats, and then uh, a big screen and a presenter one at a time down in the front. Yep. So the first day was not very useful. It was a lot of different talks from a lot of different areas of the world, which once again, feeling like my world is so small, excited to learn about India, China, Canary Islands, all kinds of other places like that. But to me, all of the talks either fell into the category of advertisement, which was really disappointing because, come on, man, like we're your peers. Come on, tell us what you're working on. Tell us what you're sharing. And then that leads me into the other category, which is so close to a takeaway and not quite there. The example that comes to mind for that second category is there was one speaker who's, who's talking about the Canary Islands, and that's obviously multiple islands. They have co-working spaces on, I believe, all of them. Right. Well, it was, it was like an association, and this guy, he's got one, and he yes. wanted to bring together the other people, because when he set out to create his first one, his biggest realization was, nobody's talking to each other. Yeah, which is great. That is awesome. We ended up hearing more conversations like that later in the day. I mean, I will say one of the weird things about Indie Hall is we, we don't really have a relationship with other co-working spaces in the city. We're like aware of each other. So I was like, yes, how did you do that? What happened? Tell me the process. Tell me how your members collaborate. Tell me things about that. And somehow it veered into how beautiful the Canary Islands are, which they yes, are definitely how warm it is, how cheap the beer is, how all of the members were like, playing volleyball and bikini tops, not in like a gross way, just in a, like a normal person way. And uh, 
It was like, come on, I'm so close. And ended with a, and I'll admit, very strong pitch for bringing the co-working Europe conference to the Canary Islands. Given that it was, uh, you like know, maybe degrees. it was maybe maybe 10 degrees above <laughs> freezing, uh, we were like, you know what? Beers by the beach doesn't sound terrible right now. No. And there were a couple of talks like that where they would get really close to drawing a conclusion and it would just dip away into something that was more explaining to us what it is. Yeah. It, it, was a, it was a lot of what and not a lot of why and how, which is where I'm curious because we are literally the people that do the how and look at the why. Yeah. One of the things that I think makes the Coworking Europe conference unique in, in the events that I've been to is the broad cross-section of cultures represented. Mm-hmm. So you have all across Europe, which is, you know, remarkably diverse. You've got some folks coming from sort of the North Africa, Mesa, Middle East region. You've got folks coming from India, coming from China, coming from Southeast Asia, uh, Australia. So you've got a pretty, and like a handful of us North Americans as well, right? So remarkably, remarkably culturally diverse. Unbelievably. And that's where it seems like the majority of the opportunity would be. And we get, that's where you, what you're saying, like the things that seem to get closest to it were talks where there was some, like you were going to teach me something about co-working in India, like we were describing, like how, how it's done at scale, not just, not the why, but also like literally how it's done. And I, we got a taste of the why. And I think that was one of the highlights of day one's talk was Varen's explanation of like why we do things at scale. Yeah. It didn't really get into the depths of how, but right now I don't have much reference other than India's population is insane. And to be, to be <laughs> fair, I'm not insane like they're crazy, but like just it, there's so many people. We had a, a speaker at Coworking Europe two years ago, uh, Sajid, who we've become friends with. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I met Sajid. I met Sajid when he spoke at Coworking Europe in Lisbon, and he gave in a talk that was very similar to Veyron's, but it was more from the here's how we build community in this ecosystem. And it was sort of, here's how we build community in spite of the craziness that is this ecosystem, the terrible infrastructure or the extraordinary expenses, the massive disparate uh, gap between uh, income and real estate costs. Made me honestly look at it and go, I can't believe people complain about trying to start a co-working space in America. It's like, if they can pull it off in India, you don't have a reason to complain anywhere else in the world. And I was looking for something like that in Varen's talk, and, and Varen, if you're listening, I think that was the one thing that was missing. And Karsten from DeskMag, who ritualistically presents the results of the co-working survey. And beautiful graphic design. Right. So here's the thing. If you haven't filled out the co-working survey, uh, coworkingsurvey.com, go check it out. I'm going to do a follow-up episode about the co-working survey itself. Karsten puts in a ton of work in collecting a tremendous amount of information to show year over year patterns and growth and changes and not just the data, but actual analysis of it. And even in that, the reason I want to do a follow-up episode is because I really want to go through the entire survey, both the line of questioning as well as Karsten's results with a critical eye and say, cool, what do we do with this? And I can understand the correlation is not causation thing. You don't want to draw any big broad strokes about stuff without the... But the thing is, he has so much data. What bugged me is that the closest thing to an actionable conclusion was that there was a not surprising at all staggeringly high statistic of members who would prefer to have really nice, expensive, ergonomic chairs. No shit. (laughs) Or like like to sit by windows. Right. So like, it would be great if you gave all of your members nicer chairs. They'd prefer nicer chairs. Well, of course. But like, get into 
more detailed research about ergonomics, right? If, if there was a takeaway, it's like we need more detailed research on ergonomics, not go buy more expensive chairs for your members. Right. Because we had a trend of standing desks like crazy when I started. Everybody was using a standing desk. I was using a standing desk. And if you've met me, I am not a standing desk type of person. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, I, yeah, it, I did it maybe a quarter of the day. But like, then we could say that that is everybody should have a standing desk. We should buy a bunch of expensive standing desks. But right now, if I look out at the space, there are maybe like an eighth of our members use standing desks. Yeah. So yeah, there, I just, I wanted, I want a little more cause I was watching people around us taking pictures of each slide, you know, tweeting about them, um, things like that. And I, I filled out the survey myself and I was really curious. There were a couple of, of conclusions about owners and operators and payment of, you know, owners feel they're underpaid, operators feel generally that they're paid enough. So it's like, okay, cool. That gives you some clue about the type of person that owns a co-working space and employs people. Give me more. Yeah, yeah. Um, Another talk that I thought had so much potential because I'm still thinking about it is there's a community in Brussels that is, I guess, very underserved. They're a neighborhood that the Paris bombers came from. I was watching the news the first day we were there and there was a story about it. So that was the only reason I was like, oh yeah, okay, I've heard of this community. They opened a co-working space in what they were calling something like the worst neighborhood in all of Europe. I have not heard a lot of stories about co-working in America in communities that are generally underserved in low-income areas. I am super curious about this topic. If you know about that, send me an email right now. So they were doing a presentation about this thing that they had granted only kind of recently started. They had had to expand to a new space. They invited street artists who were already graffitiing all around to come in and paint their walls, which I thought was brilliant. It's like totally something I would want to do if we didn't have a team of amazing artists here. Um, And they're teaching their, they're teaching kids basically from the area how to do coding and graphic design and all kinds of stuff like that but there still wasn't there still wasn't that like that end it was like um like the the only conclusions I could draw from it were things that I am now thinking about later like oh if there are pictures of all of these kids and the folks that are teaching them wearing the t-shirts then I guess that's cool oh here's how compensation works because it's free to come in and work there but Give me a, one of those kids. <laughs> yeah, no, that's what I would have loved to have heard from a kid. And frankly, this is a, a criticism leveled at nearly all of these conferences is we don't hear from the members. But we don't even hear stories about the members that much either. This was an all time low for that, frankly. Yeah. Occasionally uh, in one of my own conference groups, we we got into it and that was like I could feel in the room the energy of people responding to me talking about members in specifics. Yeah. But I, it's just something that totally baffles me is you have this community that is a resource for other members. Like whatever community you have, whether it's three people or 300 or 3,000, you have people that are working together and collaborating and meeting each other and becoming friends and doing whatever they want to be doing in this community you've created. And that's a resource for you as well, not just for other members. I was so astounded. Even in videos where they interviewed members, it was still kind of, oh, I love the place here. Tell me more. Tell me what you're doing. Tell me what you've created. You know, we have two members that it's one of my favorite stories, started a a publishing company together from one of the members rolling up to the other one in a swivel chair 
after having met a couple times and saying, do you want to publish a book together? That's magic. That's something that I have told that story millions of times. Probably not millions. It feels like millions. <laughs> um, let's be realistic here. And I see people's faces light up because that's something that can happen to you at any point, at any scale. So come on, dudes. Use, use your members. Use yeah. your resources. Well, and what's interesting is to that end, the problem pattern that I see in a lot of these conferences is the majority of the speakers we hear from are people who have started co-working spaces or run co-working spaces. Mm -hmm. And they spend a lot of their time, if not all day, every day, trying to convince people that what they're doing is worthwhile, that they should join. You know, they're in they're in convince mode, I think. Yeah. And it's very rare for them to be surrounded by, I mean, think of how many people were in that room that raised their hand and said, I'm at a conference like this for the first time. You can read between the lines and say, this is probably their first exposure to people who are doing something even remotely similar to like what they do. And I think that's equally true of the people who are on stage. Yeah. And so they're not used to thinking of the people they're presenting to as their peers. They think about it as someone that they're trying to, you know, give the glossy sales pitch to, which, by the way, doesn't work at all either. But <laughs> it's a great place to break the habit. While at the conference that we ran earlier in the year, we made an active effort to reduce the number of speakers who are people who have started and run co-working spaces to I mean, it was very, very small. It was mostly people that are members of co-working spaces or people that are industry adjacent. There was almost no operators. And because of that, we were able to get to some other content besides, hi, I started a co-working space and here's what we do that's different. That was the, the, the template for every single talk on day one, it seemed like, is we started a co-working space and here's what we did different. And even... Like that should be interesting, except that here's what we did different was so high level. It wasn't here's how or why we did it. It was just like here's a twist on co-working and not a here was the experience. Here were the environmental variables. The, again, the, the example you gave about that really rough neighborhood, that's an example of – taking environmental variables and doing something not just interesting with it, but using valuable, it. Yeah. using it to your advantage. And the opportunity there could have been, should have been, if I was coaching these speakers, I would have said, okay, the, the bullet points of all the things that you talked about, one thing, is one really good story that demonstrates why, why and how what you do, and we're going to drill real deep into that. And the reason we're going to drill real deep into that is because everyone, even if everyone in this audience isn't working with the same environmental variables, they can start to connect the dots yeah. between the environment and how you figured out what to do. I know personally, even when I'm just speaking to people, I want to give all of the context. I want to give them the story so that they get why the punchline works, whether it's for humor or for making a point. And I think with just a little gentle tweaking of here's the point I want to make, here's the story I want to tell, that background is going to get there anyway. It felt like a lot of talks about background. Yeah. And the other thing that I want to really point at is not just the why and how, but also any result. Even if your co-working space has been open for two months, even a month in our co-working space, I see results for what is happening, what's working, what's not working, trends we're having. And that is from being in an environment where we're paying attention to these things. But I know that the low-income area co-working space, I know that the Canary Islands co-working space that's trying to create a community between other co-working spaces. I know that co-working spaces in China and India and all the other places we heard from have to have some sort of, and this is what I learned. It's storytelling. 
Yeah. So so day one left us for wanting. But I will say, we took a break for lunch. I leaned over to you and said, I don't know if I want to go to any of these talks in the afternoon. I am, frankly, used to being in a position where I'm not learning a lot. And that's that's not me, hopefully, it doesn't sound like me being arrogant or conceited. It's I've got more experience. And so the things that people are talking about, I've already been through. So for me to sit in the audience and listen, what I'm listening for is larger overarching patterns, the kinds of narratives and stories. I like sharing other people's stories as examples, not yeah. just my own. That's really valuable. Um, so I'm used to going in and being like, all right, I'm going to have to do some work to get something out of this because I'm coming from a more advanced position. Right. And if I didn't want to do that, let's be honest, I wouldn't show up or I'd go find something else to do. And at the end of that first half at the lunch break, you're right, when you leaned over to me, it was like, do we have to keep doing this? So what you did was put out a call on Twitter for folks that want to sit and just have a conversation. Sort of a round table. Yeah, just talking to your peers. Something that you mentioned talking about the first half that I also want to draw a distinction of is the difference between owners and operators. There were a lot more people that do the job I do, however you want to describe it, whether that's a community manager, an operator, a staff member. Staff members, I'll refer to it as staff member from here on out just because that's broad enough but clear enough. So people did not start the space but also take care of it like it is their own, like it's their baby. Mm-hmm. And that was really cool. A lot of a lot of very thoughtful people with different sorts of spaces talking about how they take care of their community, things that aren't working. We got some of those overarching themes that we were looking for in that first half. Um, we had more in-depth discussions where we could share our experience with individual members or with individual teams or with individual situations. And other folks could too. And that was awesome. Uh, the thing, the, the fact that people showed up and contributed to an amazing conversation showed me that how much potential was locked up in that stadium seating that was just sitting there waiting for something. And by by creating that little forum and giving people another place to come and have that conversation, where there was there was a couple of people who just came and listened the entire time. Those are the people that had really interesting challenges, and to be able to put out that challenge and in some cases just hear like, yeah, you're not crazy. You're not the only person who's like, we've all experienced that. We're all still experiencing that. I don't necessarily have an answer for you, but at the very least know that you're not alone in that. And you connect with people. Yes. Real people as people. Talking to humans. Yes. It was tremendous. There's another thing too that we talk about in event design here at Indie Hall, which is that you need a specific thing. So you don't just say we're having a meeting about something because that's how you end up super off topic. You don't talk about anything. And this was really broad. I think you said in your tweet, like, come chat with us if you want to just have a conversation about what we're doing or something like that. And we still ended up in specific topics. We would venture away and somebody would bring things back. Like it was the opposite to that rule of specificity. And it was really, really nice to get to see. Yeah. Yeah. It was really, really good. Uh, and I sort of one sort of last note on that action of creating that event. My goal was not to take anything away from what was happening at those talks and panels. If somebody out there got something out of it, great. Tell me what it was because I couldn't find it. But for the 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 reality is is I'm a firm believer of if you're at an event, you're not allowed to complain that it sucks, right? What you can yeah. do is you can acknowledge that it sucks and find a way to contribute to make it better for you and other people who agree that they're not getting what they want. If there's a group of people in a room that agree that they're not getting what they want, guess what? You have that in common. Create something new together. We held court for like three hours. 
it was awesome. Yeah. And we could have instead sat in those lecture hall seats for three hours. I would have started tweeting even angrier things, I'm sure. Uh, and that would have been good for nobody. Right. So seize that opportunity and make it better. And even on the... I think you referred to it as like a family reunion. It's seeing people that you've seen all six years. So even if we just sat down and caught up with people we've met before or for me met new people, that would have been valuable. The yeah. fact that it ended up being really in-depth discussions was awesome. And I think some one of the best things about the whole conference all three days was being around people that would, knowing who you are from your podcast or from your blog, come up and say, I'm stuck on this thing. Let's talk it through. And it wasn't always the most efficient in that like, oh, no, we got to get to another thing. But getting to have that time to connect on a much smaller level was really what I wanted because then you get to actually know people. You get to hear about their their people, their communities, their tribes that they're creating. That reminds me of another conversation that I had with a couple of folks that were there about how day one was so actually all days were so packed and i think this is a common mistake that conference organizers make as they look at a schedule one day two day three days whatever it is and they fill up the days because right. people are paying for a conference ticket i've got to you want to give value give them the most i possibly can and we did that with our conference we had 24 hours of content right. and even in that <laughs> early on one of the first conversations we had was we've got to build in that hallway time we knew that we had to do it and we still overstuffed still it too much we still overstuffed so however many talks you think you need like cut it in half and then that's pro that's probably still a little bit too much the beautiful thing then is also you get to spend more time with the speakers that you do have helping them focus and hone their material so it delivers actual value instead of just them filling up a 20 minute speaking slot that's what it felt like there was a schedule there was how many people can we get to talk about a, a checklist of co-working related topics we've got the rural co-working check we've got the islands co-working check we've got the you know big pan-asia co-working talk check we've got the startup -y co co-working check like it was just ticking all the boxes of all the variants without any real focus on who's in the audience. Like, I don't, I feel like no one really asked the question, who's in the audience? And every time I asked the question, every time I looked at it, like, who's in the audience? It was confusing who yeah. was in the audience. And, and I don't know, it's sort of a chicken and egg question. I don't know if it was a confusing, confusing agenda that attracted a confusing audience or a confusing audience that the organizers are trying to build an agenda for too many different kinds of people or, or some combination of the two. I think on the website it said that we were going to talk about everything. I don't know if it exactly used the word everything, but it was all of the topics, a wide variety. I can look it up, but if I open my computer, I'll be distracted, <laughs> just to be honest, because yeah. it's a catch-up day. But I remember, I don't think I had looked at the schedule. I had looked at all of the headshots, because I'm a photographer, leading up to it, and was just looking at all the interesting people and their different headshots and what how they chose to portray themselves. And I hadn't looked at the schedule until it got a little bit closer, but I had looked at the description of the event and I was left with less understanding just looking at the headshots and looking at the different people that would be there. So that was day one. Let's go, let's move on. Um, I mean, basically what, what we can get from day one, just to summarize is have a takeaway, have a takeaway. Think about who your audience is. And if you're wrong about who the audience is, then that's an amazing opportunity to figure out why and to figure out how you can speak to a different audience. I had one person in one of my own conferences that is a member of co-working spaces, and I thought it was the coolest thing. And 
why is that not the audience? Yeah. Or or why did he not give a talk as a member? Yeah. So so think about think about the takeaway. Think about what overarching themes will be there, and take that time to work with your speakers. Or if you can't do it, running the whole big picture, which I totally understand. We did a conference. Then find someone you trust who can put that thoughtfulness into it, because. Yes, you want people to get a whole bunch of diverse opinions, which we definitely got a wide variety of people with different experiences. Totally. But we didn't get exactly, we didn't get the takeaway. We didn't get the thing that we can go, ooh, I can apply this here. Yeah, I'm not looking for a conference that's full of my ideas. That would also be completely uninteresting and boring. I'm not going to get into the echo chamber thing. <laughs> right. But no, I think I th- but I think it's worth saying is like, yeah. I, I'm not upset because it was opinions i don't agree with it was that it was opinions i can't do anything with and something that was really cool so leading into day two day two was the unconference and something that i thought was very cool was there was one talk in day one that uh if you follow alex's twitter you heard about uh at alex hillman if you can read my brain hashtag cwe16 (laughs) you heard about it a lot in my brain because i was like i can't even tweet about this guy the reason i found it so awful was not because he's a startup dude that's fine it's because it was a series of co-working spaces based on cultural appropriation which i am not throwing my oberlin liberal arts hat around in saying that it was so obvious it was like smacking you in the face yeah if you needed uh, if you ever wondered what is cultural appropriation this is this belongs in the dictionary definition under so, it so so to clarify it's called tribes and it is a series of co-working spaces that are using oh god i'm like getting mad just talking about this that are using the cultures of other nomad of nomadic tribes that have existed on earth so Maasai, Maori, some Native American tribes. And so each one was going to be one of those tribes. And then they, as tribes, the company would be the 35th tribe. I think it was 34 and they would be the 35th. And what that looked like, there were not a lot of pictures of the space or people in the space because that, as you probably know, is Alex's and my now pet peeve. I had no way of knowing if these places actually existed or if this was a pitch for something that was intending to happen. But from the computer rendered model that we got to see there, it was like a kind of like a hotel, very shiny, very pretty with um, tribal patterns with tribal patterns. Yeah. With conference rooms that had vaguely African themes it was, for the Maasai. I, I, like I, I I I'm cautious to not be offended on other people's behalf. However, <laughs> however, the other thing that we haven't said yet is that this was founded by three extraordinarily wealthy white dudes from the Regis Corporation. His watch was blinding. <laughs> <laughs> so 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 this is this is the this is this is I mean I think you were going to talk a little bit about the session on, on colonialism like but this is Again, I don't actually care about big box venture funded co-working. I don't have an opinion pro or con. I think if anything, I have an opinion that way too many people are distracted by it. If you spend any amount of time reading or clicking links or sharing links about big box co-working spaces, 
you are you, you are creating your own defeat. Right. right. That's it. It's a massive distraction. It's not that I dislike it. It's that I don't even give it the time of day. And it also makes me a little mad that we are giving this guy the time of day. But it's not I, I'm not offended by his co-working space. I'm offended by our industry's first example of just explicit tone deafness. It was amazing. It was amazing. And so, yes, what I was going to say for leading into day two was that as a response to that and as a response to uh, it was on Twitter all over the place that there was no conversation about accessibility for disabled members. What are people doing for that? What Like, how are you making your place yeah. something that is available and accessible. And a subtext to that around, it's not just, uh, uh, you know, handicapped members, but also people of color, you know, people of lower income, like accessibility has a, a, a broad category and, right. and you could you could address this in any number of ways. So the, the point I was going to make is in a response to that lacking and that complete, oh my God, I can't even, I can't. There was a session on, I forget what they called it. Like it was something colonialism related, but it was really about how do you make your co-working space a safe space for, as you said, yeah, people of color, people of all sexual orientations, veterans, all different ages, uh, something that came up that isn't necessarily something we encounter in Philadelphia, but absolutely makes sense to me in a lot of places in America is language. There was a conversation about a German co-working space that wanted everything to be in English. But if you are, I guess, if you do not use English for your business, if you generally only work in German, then that's excluding you. And yeah, and physical disabilities as well as mental disabilities came up too, which I was like, oh yeah, blind spot. Hello, totally missed that. Yeah, And that was something that I'm not sure what I've gotten actionable from that session, but that and a couple other unconference sessions were refreshingly new, at least in topics, sometimes in execution, not so much. Yeah. But that whole session, the, my big takeaway from it was, where am I making an assumption? Where, it, where do I have a blind spot that, of course, I can't see because that is what a blind spot is. But, you know, what assumptions do people make coming into a co-working space? What assumptions do I have about our members? Do I have about people that would be interested in being part of our co-working space? The people who don't even make it in the door. Right. So, I mean, of course, as people who take care of our community that have created this place, the thought is, oh, it's open to everybody. But then... Obviously, it's not because we are generally a lot of white men. But it's like, okay, that's now my curiosity is what am I missing here? Yeah. What am I totally blind to? So that was really cool. There was another session on rural co-working. Now, this one is a topic that I've had a couple of years to see it build towards uh, towards something. But that room was filled to the brim with people. We were standing the whole time. So the number of attendees was was interesting, but the big turning point, the thing that I noticed, and this is one of the things that keeps bringing me back to these events, is we I've say for like two or three years now, we've heard conversations about co-working in rural small towns, rural towns, quite literally villages, but it's always been hypothetical. This was the first time that there were people who were actually doing it, who when I raise my hand and ask a question, how do you X, people don't say, well, here's how I would do it. They can say, here's a literal example of who the people are that we reached out to, how we found them, how we communicate to them, what they value. And Even it was, what we're doing to get started. Yeah. Like they're in the process of doing. And, and just watching that conversation, that's, that's 
when you were we started this conversation talking about how young this industry is, it's also has these sort of microcosms that are also very young and we have the I believe the great privilege of being able to observe them in this to go from the stage of talking about it, thinking about it, being curious about it to the next year more than a handful of people are actually doing it. They're succeeding. They're learning things. And then they're turning around and being generous enough with their learning to say, here's what I figured out. Here's what worked. Here's what didn't work. Take it back to your your efforts. And even some healthy disagreement about how to approach it. Because let's be honest, just in the same way that no two cities are going to be the same, no two villages are going to be the same. So it's all about studying for underlying patterns and coming up with experiments to run and things to try and 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 you know practices and communication styles, but but ultimately it's it's you've got to be able to adapt it to where you are. Yeah, very specifically. So I think if you're if you're hopefully getting from the way we're talking about even just these first two sessions in the unconference that we mentioned, and there was there were five five yeah. Um. So you know we just mentioned two out of five. And you can tell the difference between them and the day one <laughs> sessions. Yeah, we're passionate about the actual subject matter versus what is missing. Yeah. And part of that comes from the way you get to decide where you're going to. There was a conversation about furniture. At Coworking Canada, I went to a conversation about furniture. How did that go? I wanted to rip my hair out. <laughs> I was I wanted to slam my face on the expensive desk. Because <laughs> because to me, in our space, and yes, we have spent so much time thinking about the space with the move. The space doesn't matter. The space doesn't matter. We would be the exact same community out in a park. We would be the exact same community if for some reason every single member moved to California. Yeah. We would be the same yeah. because we are who we are. We're the people. So there were conversations about furniture. There were conversations about technology and tools which i can i can get into i could get into some tools yeah but i would like want to actually have a one-on-one about tools i would want to have a maybe five person conversation about tools i don't need someone to tell me about billing software because we have one and it works and there are occasional limitations but it's better than not using it at all so it was nice because for someone just starting out who doesn't have any billing software, who has been sending, oh, and I spoke to someone who has a person that sends invoices one by one each month. Uh, for somebody that has that, going to learn about billing software is going to blow their mind. We, we used to run that way, by the way. I know. I saw the notebooks when we moved. Ooh. Oh, yeah. Um, and it's great because there is so much more technology as the industry has grown even from the two years that I've been here. Yep. So it is really wonderful to be able to pick and choose where you're going, to always have the option of walking out of a session, which uh, I saw people in some sessions looking like I want to leave. So I just want to tell you, you can leave. It's okay. No one's going to be hurt unless it's me. I'll be deeply hurt, um, <laughs> which, is, which is a joke. But um, I led a session that I learned a lot from mostly because I was incredibly disappointed with it. And speaking of tools, I wanted to talk about how you take care of your remote members. So in the trend of very small village co-working where there are maybe 6,000 people in a town for you to have be your members. And then what do you do? How do you grow beyond that for Indie Hall where we have moved to a wonderful space and as far as I know, don't have any intention of moving again or opening a new space. 
because we're doing what we do not here. anytime soon yeah <laughs> jump checking um you know for a world that continues to get smaller and smaller and smaller as people spend more time on the internet i want to know what sorts of tools and what sorts of techniques people are using to keep members that are not physically in the room engaged and feeling like they belong to something and that is operating with the knowledge that some people don't need to be constantly engaged. Some people like to observe. Um, I said this a couple times over the conference that you just have to remember that people want to participate the way they're going to participate. And it doesn't mean you stop inviting, but I want more things to invite our remote members to. Yeah. And I will say, I know that the answer to my question is just talk to our remote members, but I also wanted to know what other people were doing. And so I led a session. It was the last one of the day, which you could tell because everyone looked really tired in a good way because hopefully they were getting really engaged in the other sessions the way we got to. Yeah. But I asked that question. I asked, what do you do for your remote members? And I got crickets. <laughs> it was amazing. And I was... How many people came to the session? Uh, maybe 10. Okay. So like it was... So it was a smaller group. It was a smaller group, but also like not nobody. Like these are nine people, nine, 10 people besides yourself who are at the very least curious about the topic or the way the topic was presented. Or maybe they were just like, what's a remote member? Right. And I realize now that a more universal term would have been a virtual member. Sure. But I actually got the question, why would you do that? Why would you engage virtual members? Do you, do you make more money from that? Um, <laughs> so, and they're 45 minute sessions. So 20 minutes in, I think my face said, oh my God, this is, I'm not going to get any answers here. Then I realized what I could do rather than keep asking a question that no one knew an answer to was one, find out what people do with their members. So, um, I got some ideas that I'm going to steal like monthly birthday parties. I learned about a woman who runs a co-working space and she, she just does emails like I do. It sounds like they're just exactly the same and they're enough for her community. And as someone that wants to push beyond the announcement and move towards a conversation. Yeah, you're looking for something that's not a lot of folks for their online extends. You know, it's Twitter, Facebook, that sort of thing. Instagram, maybe. Uh, and a periodic, whether it's weekly or otherwise, email list, like an email blast. Right. Here, here's what we're up to. Here's some cool things that happened last week. Here's some things coming up. And so what I realized I needed to do was then after finding out where people were and what they were doing and who was in the room, who my audience was, was share what we're doing because I didn't get an answer of what anybody else is doing because they're not. So my takeaway was it's time to, to talk about this more, to share about this more, to, you know, if I come to any conclusions and do some experiments, pop back on this podcast to start writing a blog. I already have the first what I want to talk about. And I don't have answers. I have questions. I really want to have this conversation. And then I end up having a conversation with the guy from Hubud, and that's their project for this year too. So from that disappointment, from that like getting ready to have a, a round table about tools and techniques and skills and finding a lacking, it was like, oh, this is exciting. This is something that you, you said it to me. I said, I don't know if I can lead this session. You said, I guarantee you've thought about this more than anybody here and I thought it was a joke uh but you're completely serious it was true it was exciting because while I know that in our conference I know that the response from this podcast from your blog that it does help people 
that it does give folks some insight into how we do what we do and how to do maybe what you do better or try something out or experiment. That's like the big word with us is this is an experiment. Um, it was the first time very personally I felt how that will have an effect because like thinking about all the different ways that co-working can go, whether it's more and more and more and more large co-working spaces, whether it's more rural co-working spaces or whether it's a way to connect people virtually all over a country, all over a region. Ugh, it's exciting. Yeah. Yeah, no, it is. I mean, that's honestly, the, the, I think the biggest takeaway, and you said this at the very beginning of this conversation for us is like the things that we're working on are still have value, not just to our members, but to other people. Like the fact that we've been around for as long as we have been is not just a badge of honor and an accomplishment, but it's also an opportunity to carve new paths. Like the fact that you started a session where we might be doing some of the more cutting edge things means that in some cases we will have to try and fail on our own. It's great that we have peers in Steve and his team at Hubud because they are also, I mean, they're coming up on three years old, I think. Um, but I would put them way ahead of the curve in terms of the uh, the the level, the degree of not just experimentation, but self-awareness oh, yeah. and and the thoughtfulness. They, they're, they're really good at what they do. Um, and so having them as peers and knowing that we're working on something similar, um, th- our communities are very different which means their approaches will be very different, Mm -hmm. which is very exciting. Yeah. And I still think there will still be crossovers in the things that they do, the way that they do them, the the things that are obvious to them but less obvious to us, things that are obvious to us but less obvious to them. That that opportunity for that crossover has me excited uh, about 2017, the year, years ahead. That's, you know, the, the last few weeks leading up to us going to the conference, that's really where we've been as a team is powwowing around, all right, the move is more or less done. We're stable. We've caught our breath. Now what? Right. And so then to like put this conference right in right in that flight path, um, I think is cool to crystallize some ideas to to energize some directions to make it hopefully clear for us to say, yeah, there's people out there that we can help. Because yeah. ultimately, that's why we sit down and record this show. Is not. I mean, we had this conversation, some version of this conversation, multiple times together as well as with other people. We're doing this, A, to have a record, but more than anything to help those of you that we know are out there that don't get to come to these conferences or do get to come to the conference but don't have someone to turn to next to you in a really crappy talk about a stupid, stupid billionaire-backed co-working space and say, can we go do something else? Like, we are peers now. If you were listening to this show, we are in this together. Yeah. Um, And so I'm super excited about this energizing you to share more Sam oh, um, yeah. you know, but I, fire lit but <laughs> um, so look out for look out for Sam's butt fire um, but more <laughs> oh, no. Uh, no. Um, but so in addition to to the podcast I think we're gonna we're gonna have uh, some more written material coming out as well and I want to be giving you know Sam and the team here as well as some of our members a platform to share what's going on because uh, I think to a degree even we take for granted the things that we've learned, the things that we're doing, the things that we're trying, and we don't always take the time to write down and ex- write down what we're doing until sometimes it's a little, a little behind, behind the ball. Yeah, and something I want to point out um, on the terms of innovation with finger quotes or whatever is that uh, something I loved about a lot of the people I met at this conference was how many people I met that said I don't know. 
That's a great observation. I loved it. Um, Alex, who has the co-working space in Germany, yeah. but is from London, because he was like, I know this is not a German accent. <laughs> um, it was it, I, He was talking to you. We did meet, but he, you were already both kind of in a conversation, I think. And he said, I'm a guy from London starting this co-working space. I'm this amount of time in. I have this many people. I, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just trying stuff out. And it. I never for a second thought oh no, this guy is, he, he doesn't know anything. If anything, I had more respect for him right off the bat because he said that. And something I expected and you see kind of in the first day is this, um, I guess, posturing of uh, my co-working space is so successful, I have a thousand members. But there is something so awesome about having so many people who are very thoughtful and who were also very thoughtful about all the things they don't know. And to be comfortable in that space is really cool. So if there's, you know, maybe that first day kind of set that tone of like, okay, I'm comfortable saying I don't know because watching people posturing in front of us about their startup beat tribes co-working space makes you sick and want to respond otherwise. Maybe that's what set the tone. Maybe it's the people that I was talking to know you and know me from this podcast and know that I'm comfortable being like, oh, I have no flipping idea, but I want to play in this arena or yeah. I have no idea. What do you, what do you know? I thought that was so cool. Yeah. I thought that was so cool, especially from people that were newer too, being able to say that. Um, we had a conversation with a woman from Portugal who has all of her dominoes set up and, how does she knock them down, you know? And it was great because she had her stuff. She had her material. She showed it to us. We looked at it and noticed there were no people in it, which is, it's a theme. It happens. But it was great because, and I know I can personally go into defensive mode when someone's telling me something that I didn't know I didn't know. But that was never, that really wasn't the case at the conference. That was really cool. Yeah. So if you also get anything from this podcast, it's, joyously triumphantly proclaim the areas you don't know because that's where you get to learn and you get to have people realize that they can help but if you don't know where where you're missing anything just like me with this accessibility question then you just assume everything's fine and there's no opening for people to contribute to you so i loved that and conferences are great they're so great i know that the first day is necessary for the conference material i always say that for in this of this format this three-day format day one pays for day two and day three because especially for all these first-time attendees to convince people to spend hundreds of dollars on a event where the schedule has not been set and they're not sure what they're going to get i i know how hard it is to sell that i know firsthand how hard it is to sell it it's very 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 hard Yeah, we didn't release a schedule for pause we did release speakers with topics but Without Even the topics it. were kind of vague. Yeah. So that's one of the things we'll be we'll be adjusting going forward <laughs> as I've gotten lots of feedback, including from Sam, about how bad of an idea that was. But the fact that the the first day pays for day two and day three, I think is an economic reality. Conference, once you say the word conference, there's a bunch of expectations, right? A venue, catering, 
uh, name, tags. Aud- name tags, audio visual and things like that. And I mean, in my parallel universe to the co-working weekly show in Indie Hall, I have another podcast stacking the bricks with my friend Amy Hoy, and it's all focused on bootstrapping business. And we run an in-person conference. We've run several of them now. And the entire conference is designed around rejecting the assumptions that come from the word conference. We undo almost every conference trope on purpose so that we can ask, well, does it need to be that way? Why does it need to be that way? How would we like it to be? What would make the experience better for our attendees? And among the things that we reject are the certain styles of talks that we work very, very hard with all of our speakers like we did with Pause to make sure that they know exactly what they're going to be talking about. Basically, we know the audience better than they do, making sure that what they're going to talk about is going to deliver concrete, actionable value, creating lots of blocks of time for people to mingle and hang out rather than feeling like the schedule is packed with one amazing talk after another. Yes, make sure they're amazing talks, but then give people time to reflect on those talks and have conversations inspired by those talks, not just the ones that make them angry. Like all of these design patterns, um, I, I think the reason that this conference has its has its flaws is because it has taken on a lot of the baggage that comes from the word conference mm-hmm. that isn't congruent with what makes co-working work. It isn't congruent with makes with what makes communities amazing, any community, frankly. And I think the conference itself, most conferences, any conference is antithetical to the subject matter in a lot of ways. And it takes work. It takes a lot of work. It takes confidence. It takes time to break that down, I, and again, I'm saying that n- firsthand, having been through it for multiple events that I've been a part of organizing. So I respect how much work goes into producing this event. I respect the challenges, financial and operationally, that make an event like this go off. And obviously, it's not like we got nothing out of this. We oh, got no. we got a lot out of this. It's just that there are a lot of people who I think could get even more out of this if the conference, air quote, were unpacked a bit more and thought about and designed for for an audience instead of this weird, vague collection of audiences. I have a question. Shoot. Um, when you sign up for a conference like this, what sort of information is collected? It's not a, it's not a lot at all. It's enough to cl- pa- you know pass payment. There, like okay. if there were, if you're asking like, is there some sort of entrance survey or segmentation or anything like that? To my knowledge, I haven't seen. I haven't seen that actively done. The closest thing I've seen is in the post sales. So post registration, there will be additional information or opportunities presented to sort of allow you to segment. So for instance, CU Asia hosts a, um, a, an, a, an academy. And I think the Juicy events are doing this now too, where before the conference begins, if you are brand new and you need to get up to speed, Something for newbies who are just launching. Here's a day of content, action-packed, just for you. And sort of allow – I think it's – I don't remember if it's something you pay extra for. I think in the case of the Academy, it is. It's an opportunity to allow the audience to self-segment in directions. But to my knowledge, the majority of the information being collected by attendees happens after in like a follow-up survey, not a a pre-survey. So that's something that feels like an easy win right there, because we were talking about it in terms of new members. Uh, We were speaking to a woman who has a survey that you have to fill out. And it's not because I don't think it's because they pick and choose their members, but it's because she wants to share that information with all the members that are there. And we were talking about that in terms of members, but that just seems so straightforward, because if you ask people when they sign up for a conference, what they're looking for, like when you asked me at the beginning of this podcast, 
it was actually the first time I had articulated what I was looking for. And yeah, as you said, it was after the fact. But if you have a bunch of people coming in saying, I have a rural co-working space and I really want to talk about that, you can then program for that. You can book somebody who's doing the thing. Yeah. Just as an example, that seems like such an easy win. I, I'm I'm kind of blown away. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I don't think I've ever seen a conference that asked those questions up front. And I can understand um, not wanting too much barrier to entry because, as you said, it costs money to to pull one of these things off. You want to get as many attendees as possible. But when your audience is such a mishmash of people that are at all different levels and that are at all different levels of interest and that do different things in the co-working space, even just having a checkbox of owner, staff member, or member would then make someone go, oh, members, oh, ah, wow. You know, and thinking a lot of these takeaways are going to pop up in pause. Mm, no, that's a, that's a really that's a really 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 awesome thought, Sam. I'm super super into that, and I'm also curious. Like, I, I like how you're framing it in terms of like it's not just how can we use that information, but how can we frame it for the attendees to help them know who else is going to be there beforehand. Oh yeah. Because um, I mean, also thinking about like first time attendees versus return attendees. On one hand, it's awesome that there's so many new people every year, but the downside is that if you read between the lines, if there's that many new people every year and the conference is not getting that much bigger, that means there's a lot of people that aren't coming back. Right. And then the question is why? Yeah. Where are they? And what's missing for them? Right. Woo. Well, and that is what we saw at days one and two of the Coworking Europe conference this year in Brussels, Belgium. And hopefully this was useful for you, whether you were an attendee or not, whether you Maybe you're even an aspiring speaker to an event like this. Again, my goal in recording an episode like this is to challenge all of us to up our game. I know from talking to so many of you that you're doing things, you're trying things, experimenting. You have lessons to share. And I would encourage you to find a platform to share them, whether that's your own blog or podcast or making your way to one of these conferences and pitching the organizers the ability to give a talk. Here's this little secret. Something we didn't talk about in the show is that conference organizers in the world of co-working are always looking for good talks. And if you've got something that's more substantive than I started a co-working space, I think we need you. That's it. I think we need you. So reach out to me if you'd like a little bit of advice, maybe a little bit of coaching on what topics would be useful. If you're not sure, or if you need a little bit of help distilling it down, I'm going to pose the challenge to you to get to a co-working conference in 2017, or if it's in the future, 2018, 2019, whatever year it is, get your ass to a co-working conference. And more importantly, don't just show up as an attendee. Think about being a speaker. Think about sharing what you know, what you've done, and how you did it. Now, coming up in part two, Sam and I are going to be sharing the workshop that we did. This is brand new material for us, a topic that we've never talked about before, an approach we've never quite used before. So it was a little bit of an experiment, but I got to say, one of the best workshops that we've ever run. And we're going to use the takeaways of that workshop to sort of frame up where we want to go in 2017 with events, the events that we run, the events that we attend. So part two of this Coworking Europe recap, you can be sure, is going to be a doozy. So if you are not already subscribed to the Coworking Weekly Show, now is a good time to do that to make sure that you get part two right when it comes out. You can search for Coworking Weekly in iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you get podcasts. Hit subscribe and that next episode will come to you. And since you're subscribed, you'll also get the podcast subscriber only 
flying notification about our upcoming Q&A live event. Limited seating and the only place you're going to be able to hear about it first is on the podcast. So make sure you're subscribed. That's going to be super important. And uh, look out for part two coming up in just a few days. Thanks for listening. And I hope you have an awesome week.